Well, we come to the end of six weeks of uh, reflections and investigation of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, as well as the church in Somerville, us. And so um, Paul certainly rightfully also concludes this, our sermon series for us in this last chapter of the Ephesians letter by saying, finally, last thoughts in other words, he says, finally, and what he says is, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, with that introduction, he gives a justification and a reason why it's essential not only to be strong, but to be strong in the Lord, and not only to be strong in the Lord, but understanding, embracing, seeking, and uh, capturing, if you will, his mighty power. Because there's a problem. And Paul writes about in his letters, doesn't need to write about for us to know that there's a problem. You and I know there is a problem. Sometimes we may live in denial, but the truth of the matter is, and what Paul wants you to understand is that you, brothers and sisters, are up against far more than you can handle on your own. Understand that? You are up against far more than you can handle on your own. I don't know if it's about unemployment or about marriage and dissension in your marriage or about difficulties with a teenage child or a younger child or a grown adult child or difficulties with grandparents, or difficulties with mom and dad. The list could go on and on and on, but the fact of the matter is, living in this world is not easy, and somewhere along the line, unless you are in a place of grace right now, and if you are, I'm sure you're saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, let me stay here as long as I can, because you have been in where I'm talking about before, and you may be in there again particularly as a Christian in this world, because you will be called into places of difficulty to give witness to his light. You are up against far more than you can handle on your own. That would be the thesis of what I would uh, say, would offer you that Paul wants to tell you before he finishes this letter. So, power for your life is what this letter, how it ends, It's also how it begins, interestingly enough, in the first chapter. Back here at the beginning of this letter, what we call a chapter, he says, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart, uh, the eyes of disciples' hearts, that sixth spiritual sense that you would see with your heart, the eyes of your heart. And one of the things he prays that you will see is his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's great news because we are up against far more than we can handle on your own. And here at the end, he reminds us what he began with, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He describes for us a spiritual situation that there is something that hates you as much as God loves you, it seems. He has various names, Satan, Lucifer, the devil. He has cohorts and assistants that work with him. But scripture is very definitive and clear that there is a personal, uh, dark, evil individual whose task is to undermine and destroy you because he hates whatever God loves. And we know how much God loves you and me. 
He loved the world so much, he sent his only son. He loves the world so much that Jesus stretched out his arms on the hardwood of the cross for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, as the creed says. And there's something working against God's purposes. And so Paul just very quickly uh, describes it. He says, um, he says, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just the things that you can see and touch and feel and that uh, you're dealing with. That may be there as well. Bad habits, for example, and so on and so forth. But he says, our struggle is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. Ooh. Against the spiritual forces of evil, he says, in the cosmic, in the heavenly realm. There's some huge spiritual battle going on that makes its way into the human heart where evil can manifest itself in the flesh. I watched a movie this weekend called... Uh, what? I, I could, thank you. I had to ask the earlier congregation. Lincoln Lawyer with, with Matthew Conaghy. And it, it's, a, it's a, essentially pretty much godless movie and there's always messages in there there as well because you see how people who live godless lives how those lives play out and turn out there is something to learn how not to live if you will and Matthew Conaghy is a godless lawyer and one of his concerns in life that he took as wisdom from his father was that and that an that an innocent man that he was responsible for would be found guilty and he basically believed everybody was guilty anyway so that in a sense, wasn't ever going to happen because the people he dealt with was the, the scum of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the city where he is. But then he encounters something that's even worse and deeper than that. And he said, that used to be my greatest fear. My greatest fear now is evil. Now, this is a non-believer speaking in this movie, but what he has encountered through the, the deception and wiles of a very dark individual who has actually fooled Matthew Conaghy to become his lawyer, he has seen evil in the flesh or living through this man. He's scared to death. And he's right where this story is, uh, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. And he's in a tough situation. But Paul has a word for you and for me in this wonderful concluding chapter in his letter to the Ephesians. Thank goodness that this letter was saved. You know, they wonder sometimes if there have been letters lost uh, that we have not yet seen. But uh, if this letter were lost, we would not have, among other things in this great letter, we would not have this incredible attention and focus given to the battle we are in. And so what Paul does for us is he describes for us the method and methodology of how to deal with opposing evil and he focuses on a very interesting part of our lives he focuses on the character of the person your character is where he says the battle is going to be waged apparently and he said if you will give attention to development of your character you will be strengthening yourself to oppose all the deceptions of the enemy now he has fun with this image of the armor of god he has probably unfortunately spent more time than he would like to change to a soldier from time to time as he has been in prison many a times for the gospel. And I can see him sometime looking at this soldier and be just, just beginning to say, well, you know, this guy you know, fights for, prepares for battle and we're in a spiritual battle and just sort of starting to make analogies you know, with his, his armor. But what I'd like to do is strip away that, that image and just talk about the specific Christian virtues 
that he elevates for us to cultivate and grow in. You might call this the sanctification of your character, our character, the sanctification, the purifying and and, and, and repairing of our character. And he says that these elements are essential to give attention to. He says the first is truth. Simple as that. These are all actually pretty simple. Truth. He says to tell the truth. I mean, what it means to put on truth is to tell the truth, to seek the truth, to believe in the truth with a capital T. Those capital T truths like Jesus is Lord, like for us and for our salvation, God sent the Lord to us. That love is the primary measure of a Christian's life. Truths that we are living with a capital T. That Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he's talking about is uh, authentic sincerity. A sincere mind that yearns for and loves the truth. Not deception. Not ambiguity. Not the waffling. But truth. No pretense. No lying to God, no lying to yourself, which we call denial, no lying to others. Secondly, righteousness. That is not a moral category of good or bad and good and bad so much. It's really more descriptive of a plumb line. And for your life to be right with God, like a plumb line is used to align a board along a vertical wall. It's a devout devoted to the Lord, in other words, in holy life. It means when you are in right relationship with God and you are in alignment with that plumb line of rightness with Him, you will discover that you also feel like you are in alignment with your own self, living under God's guidance, and you will, be, um, you will know you are in, uh, in alignment with others. Plato, as he suffered persecution, Socrates tells this story, that Plato, as he was unjustly and unfairly persecuted and criticized for how he lived. And if you recall, Plato actually was executed um, um, for, but executed for having done nothing wrong. But Plato said, well, let us live against the accusations by showing how good we can be. What a wonderful uh, wisdom from the Greek tradition to bring over into the Christian tradition It's really the same way the scripture offered it to us also in terms of living right lives. Let us live against any accusations that the world might cast upon your your life or upon you by showing how good, how loving, if you will, how forgiving, how compassionate a person, a Christian, a disciple we can be. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, he says. He calls it the gospel of peace, but behind that idea of the gospel of peace and the, and, and, and the feet being fitted for that is something active and out into the world. I simply would ask you, brothers and sisters, in terms of the development of your Christian character, are you a gospeler? I need to ask myself that. Am I a gospeler? Do I share? Do we share? Are you desiring to share the good news of God's love? Bringing that to others wherever you meet them. This is an eagerness that grows within the Christian character to spread this gospel of peace. Faith. Faith. Trust, in other words. 
not just believing in some conceptions or some ideas. It's trusting in something that you're willing to bet your whole life on this. I love, you know, the great definition. This probably can't not be any better than Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith, trust, is, is being sure of what we hope for. Certain of what we do not see. Sure and certain of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sure and certain of salvation. Sure and certain, in spite of all evidence in this world, uh, to the contrary, that God is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God who intends to redeem us and rescue us from our circumstances and situations here on earth. Faith. And then he says, the word of God. Got to have the word of God. Let me simply enjoy a few passages here. If you brought your Bible or have a smartphone or an iPad uh, to look at this today. And um, look at, um, well, look at Psalm 1 first. I mean, we, just, we read it today. Just keep in mind that um, the first psalm of the entire Psalter, the 150 psalms, begins with a, uh, um, an acknowledgement of God's teaching is so valuable. Happy are they who don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He says, instead, their delight is in the law of the Lord. Talking about the teaching, the instruction, the wisdom, the biblical direction. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on His Scripture, if you will, day and night. Not only is it the first psalm that gives acknowledgement and celebrates the wisdom and truth of Scripture, the value of it, but the longest psalm, by far the longest, I believe it's 176 verses, Psalm 119, the entire psalm is a celebration of God's truth given to us through His Word. And um, see if you, if you have your Bible again. Let's find that for a moment. We won't read the whole psalm, but what about some of the verses of it? Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man, a young woman, keep his way pure? Answer, by living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart, this faithful disciple says. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not err. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Statutes, decrees, laws. He's talking about the exact He's just using different words to describe this same. He's talking about the teaching of God is given to us in Holy Scripture. With my lips, he's done memorization as well. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come about, that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Wow. The word of God, Paul says, to engage scripture, to read scripture, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest because it will be part of the protective armor as we are enabled to develop our character through the direction and provision given to us in scripture. Second Timothy 3.16, if you want to look at that, just another place of glory about Scripture. All Scripture, Paul writes to Timothy, is what? It's inspired by God, and it's useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a person's life, training that person in good living, 
The scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of every disciple, if you will, and fits them fully for all branches of their work. The branch of the family, the branch of the career, the branch of the social life, the branch of, of uh, all branches of one's work. Scripture will provide for us. And finally, Paul says prayer. He simply says pray. He says keep on praying. Crying out. Prayer that is constant. Prayer that is persistent. Prayer that can be intense. Crying out to him for your needs. For the needs of others. I suspect, not to raise any controversy, that when we pray, we basically have three things in mind. We want to change God's mind about something. We're asking Him to change the course of this or change the circumstances in which we are immersed or others are immersed. Or it may be that He needs to change us. And as we pray, what He really needs for us to do is change our own hearts about how or for what we're praying. But Paul holds this up, that to develop the character of the disciple as an armor of protection against all the deceptions of the enemy, that prayer is an essential part of that as well. Okay, that's it. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word, prayer. I think I left out anything on salvation, actually, now that I have said it again. But just that sure and certain knowledge that... uh, God sent a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, and He's for you. So in the purifying and refining of our character, another task of the Christian journey, of everybody's journey who has chosen to follow Christ, this uh, repair and strengthening of human character not only has the obvious benefits of being respected and honored as a person of character and trusted, but it becomes the bulwark, the fortress, the protection against the undermining of our lives by Satan himself. Thanks be to God. So Paul says, it's essential. One of my favorite childhood hymns, probably my favorite childhood hymn is I Sing a Song of the Saints of God, And maybe my second favorite one is Onward Christian Soldiers. It's one of those hymns that almost, if not everybody, anybody raised in the church probably knows that hymn. It's interesting, back in the 70s, uh, it was removed from our hymnal, and after a great protest was reinserted into the 1982 hymnal. It was also, uh, the temptation was to remove it from the Methodist hymnal, but stayed in. It actually was removed from the Presbyterian hymnal back in that time of hymnal revision because it was too militaristic. And yet, certainly a gross misunderstanding of the application of that hymn for our lives, because Paul is very clear, uh, we're in in warfare, Uh, not talking about other people. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual powers of a dark world, of of an evil, uh, some evil that opposes God's purposes. And what a great hymn. Uh, when uh, Winston Churchill met with Franklin Roosevelt on a British ship in 1941 to prepare the Atlantic Charter, which was an agreement between the nations of how they would treat the nations who won and the ones who lost following World War II. This was to take place four years later, but it set the template for that. In those days, it was a different kind of day. They had a Sunday service on board the ship, and they gathered, and Winston Churchill 
chose the hymns for that service. 1941, the middle of the darkest part of World War II, post, post uh, Pearl Harbor and so on and so forth. And he chose onward Christian soldiers for the men of that ship to sing. And he wrote this or spoke this on his radio broadcast shortly after. He said, we sang onward Christian soldiers indeed. And I felt that this was no vain presumption, but that we had the right to feel that we were serving a cause for the sake of which a trumpet has sounded from on high. When I looked upon that densely packed congregation of fighting men of the same language, British and American, of the same faith, of the same fundamental laws, of the same ideals, it swept across me, Churchill said, that here was the only hope, but also the sure hope of saving the world from measureless degradation because evil will personify itself as it takes over the heart of a human being whether it's an Adolf Hitler or the man that Matthew Conaghy dealt with, evil ultimately will, will capture the human being's heart unless you have this full armor of God. Well, there you have it. The end of a sermon series may it have given blessings, nourishment, or change of heart in your own life and in mine. Remember where we began, what Christ accomplished. Alleluia, what Christ accomplished. The aha moment when scales fall from the eyes and we actually authentically see with the eyes of our heart what Christ has accomplished. And we personalize it and say, for Mike, for me, for us. We spoke of the post-aha moment, post-transformation that may have taken a single moment or years to get there and spoke of uh, the new relationship of friends of Jesus that we become a part of, friends of Jesus with one another participants through worship, small group, and quiet time, and friends of Jesus as friends to one another, just the mode and model behavior we are to exercise in love, and a community that becomes so attractive in love that others are drawn into it so that truly the prayer of Jabez of enlarging our territory is enabled by the beauty of this community of its love. And we talked about it being a community of humility and love, a community that avoids the misstep of triangulation and the misstep of gossip. We spoke last week of friends of Jesus as friends to others, meaning to get out into the non-Christian world ready as witness, really as witnesses, but, but couldn't do that because we needed to focus first on the friends of Jesus to one other in our own homes as husband and wife. And we simply spoke from Ephesians 5.21, Husbands, it is not domination. Husbands, it is not possession and ownership of one spouse. Husbands, it is Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another, mutual submission, out of reverence for Christ. And today, the friends of Jesus wearing the armor of God, the development of the human character, the disciples' character, intentional development of our character in the service of Christ, and to use it to withstand the attacks of the enemy. And then to empower us, as Paul says in these same verses, empower us to stand when it's right to stand. He says to stand firm. And he says yet again, so stand then when the time and occasion calls for it. Because we have been called to be disciples of character. I don't know if you'd be willing. Uh, I actually have marked this hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, and I'd like to end the sermon 
on that note is I'd like to read the verses to you, but uh, you are the soldiers in Christ's army as disciples and friends of Jesus. Uh, We're battling this huge spiritual conflict. I invite you to stand um, as soldiers. And I will read the verses, and we will sing the refrain. How about that? All right? I think we'll try to hit the right key, try to get the right tempo. We'll see how we do here. But let's hear these words and let them sink in as a prayer of our lives, this great 19th century hymn that speaks of this spiritual conflict that we are involved with right through the heart of every human being. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus, going on before Christ the royal master, leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banners go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus, going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Christians, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against that church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Onward then, ye people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in the triumph song. Glory, Lord, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages we with angels sing. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the peace.